Hello and welcome into this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lav. As predicted on the Friday night podcast, we did not get in all of the third round of the Masters. Play was suspended because of inclement weather. With the final group on the seventh green, there was pooling on the greens. There's pooling in the fairways. It was an almighty mess at Augusta National. Rex, in your Masters career, do you ever remember... It feels like temperature dropping 35 degrees day over there. That was absolutely insane. What a miserable day at the Masters. It was not easy. Uh, no, I, I don't think I remember it during, uh, certainly not during tournament days. I think I remember one year when we, we got like a really bad storm, like on Tuesday night, and it got cool. But by the time Thursday rolled around, it was fine. And we talked about this last night. Today was even worse. It was cold. It was a stinging rain. I don't know that I've ever had an occasion to feel that sorry for tour pros in my life, but certainly watching many of them sort of slog around that place, Tiger Woods being the primary example, it's just the kind of day you don't want to play golf. And it's not, the, and even if it's at Augusta national, it's still not the place you want to play golf. What's amazing to me is you still have the top players, which in this case is it's a two man race. I'll give it to you now. John Rahm and Brooks Kepka still playing phenomenal golf. Yeah, this is the uh, – it's not even like a two-horse race. This is like a two-thoroughbreds race. Like this is mano a mano, two of the biggest alphas that you could possibly imagine on the world stage going head-to-head. Like it absolutely should be a phenomenal Sunday. So just a couple of housekeeping notes. Brooks Kepka does have a four-shot lead over John Rahm. Uh, Brooks was one under for the six holes that he plays. He is facing like a 10-foot par putt on the seventh green. John Rahm has about a 10-foot birdie putt. Uh, to cut into that deficit. He's one over for the six holes that he has played. Uh, the incredible amateur story, Sam Bennett, is two over for the first six holes. So, yes, like Brooks Kepka has a seven-shot lead over third place. Yes, there's a lot of golf to play. 28 and a half holes they will play on Sunday. But I was a little bit surprised, Rex. Like, this was a, a very dire forecast. Like, this is not catch anyone by surprise that they were not able to get in uh, the complete third round on Saturday. They were forecasting up to two inches of rain, So they were able to complete the second round. They were able to make a 36-hole cut, and they were able to get through at least six holes of play. They should be on schedule uh, for the you know, 6.30, 7 o'clock finish that you typically see on CBS on Sunday at the Masters. So all in all, it was not a complete waste. It is just going to be a marathon Sunday. Who do you think that that benefits, or who has the greater advantage? Brooks Kepka used to playing... 54 holes, get it in your jokes now. Or John Rahm, uh, an absolute alpha who has been playing some of the best golf of his life this year. I'll still go back to what Rory said the other day about he would rather, if you're chasing it, to be difficult. Because that means if you shoot a good score, you're going to make up ground. Whereas if it's easy and you shoot 66, everyone is shooting 66. But because you have these two particular players, and as you pointed out, they're horses, they're going head-to-head. I don't know that it really matters one way or the other. I mean, if it was playing easy, I think they would both start trading birdies, and if it's hard, then they're going to start grinding out for pars. It just looks like that's the way it's going to work out. I, I guess the more interesting thing for me, and as you pointed out, one is facing a birdie putt, one is facing a bogey putt. At 8.30 in the morning, by 8.35, it could be a two-stroke game. Two-shot swing, it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so you end up with a scenario where it seems to me like it's a commanding lead, but I'm sure Brooks is not going to bed thinking, oh, this is going to be a cakewalk tomorrow. You pointed out it's going to be a, it's going to be a marathon. It's going to be difficult. But I, at the end of the day, I don't know that any two player, players are better prepared 
for that. It's going to be muddy. Both of them seem to be mutters. They both hit it a long way. There's no parts of their game that you would think, oh, this one has an advantage over the other one. Yeah, stylistically, they, play, they, are, they have very similar games. It is interesting, too. So, like, Brooks Kepka right now he has a four-shot lead. Uh, if he is able to maintain that advantage heading into the final round, you're not going to have a situation that you typically have where you have kind of a, a restless night, you know, you're, you're trying to get to sleep, thinking about all that, that's going to happen in the morning. Remember the, the famous story from Scotty Scheffler last year where he was crying in the fetal position before his wife kind of compelled him to get to the golf course. Like, you're not going to have that sort of buildup. You're basically going to have two or three hours. So that's a, you, you know, you grab lunch, get a cool down, maybe get some treatment, then head back on to the tournament practice area uh, to resume your warm-up for the fourth and final round. But you're, if you're John Rahm, I think you also look at this as a, a positive as well. It, historically in his career, he has been one of the game's most fearsome closers. Like he is not afraid to, to make up a two, three, four shot deficit. He, I think that taps into kind of his aggressive mentality. He's, he's not quite as tentative on the greens uh, and he can go for it. One, one thing that is going to be interesting in the final round. So obviously it was completely saturated today to the point that it was oversaturated but you don't get mud balls when the conditions are like this because the ball essentially cleans itself as soon as it hits the turf the forecast for sunday is low 60s about 20 mile an hour winds which is going to dry out uh the golf course as well you are going to have a lot of mud balls when you get to that second nine at augusta national i'm not sure there's any more frightening golf course to hold a lead on than Augusta National because a double bogey basically lurks around every corner. Then you throw in the possibility of a mud ball and not knowing where the ball is going to be going when you make contact. I think that just adds an element of intrigue to the proceedings. Would you agree? I, I would agree be, just because it's so exacting. I mean, this isn't about hitting greens. It's about hitting the right quadrant of the greens, right? Guys talk about it all the time. I mean, you, at Augusta, you don't aim for the middle of the green and just play it safe. You've got to go at a certain section of the green, or you're going to give yourself essentially a three-putt. So now all of a sudden you're talking about instead of having six yards to sort of aim at and to, to work with, you, you've probably only got two or three yards. And then you add a mud ball to that in – you're starting to guess. And that's the last thing tour players want to do. I remember talking with players about this earlier this year in Palm Springs and the idea, it was funny because if the mud is on the left side of the ball, the ball is going to go right. If it's on the right side of the ball, it's going to go left. That's sort of the general idea. But I had so many players tell me that they don't know. Like what, what if it's on the front or the back of the ball? Like they don't know. And even the best players who ever play the game, these people are better than the top 1% of the top 1%. They don't know, and it frustrates them so much. I mean, this this sends them into shock. This is especially a like mushers like this who are who, yeah. are who hit the center of the club face almost every single time. To have that element of doubt or uncertainty uh, has to be absolutely maddening. I mean, it's a triggering event for these guys. And when you talk about John Rom, yes, he is a fearsome closer. And in this particular situation, if we were having this conversation about anyone else, if we other than certainly Brooks and Rory and Scotty. I think that's kind of the end of the list. If there's anyone else we're having this conversation with is John Rahm is paired with this player. We're like, no, oh, John Rahm's going to catch him. Like he's going to, going to win this thing. But Brooks is still Brooks. I mean, we can all still remember 2019, 2018 when he was at his absolute best. It's been a minute. We've seen him play some really, really bad golf, but I think we've also seen him play something that looks a lot like 2018, 2019. And so it's going to be interesting because it's going to, this is going to be more of a contest between wills and patience 
and all of the things that we always look at John Rahm and we wonder, wow, how much of that does he actually have? He could actually prove a lot of things if he's able to pull, somehow pull this out on Sunday. Yeah, these are two very gritty players. Brooks Kepka has been the best U.S. Open player of the past decade. Obviously, John Rahm won a U.S. Open in 2021 where Brooks Kepka was right there again. That's kind of what's broken out here at Augusta National for all the great scoring that we had over the first two days, at least in the late early wave, which Brooks Kepka was a part of and John Rahm was not. Like This is going to very much turn into a test of patience, as you said, and making sure that you're hitting the ball absolutely on the screws. I do want to get to Brooks Kepke. He does, of course, have a four-shot lead with 28 and a half holes remaining to go in this Masters. You had an opportunity to catch up with his swing coach, Claude Harmon III. Uh, he was the man who was guiding Brooks to his four previous major championships. They split. They got back together last year. What did he tell you about this newest reincarnation of Brooks Kepka, who's leading this Masters? Which, by the way, it wasn't a good split. I think both coach and player will admit to that. And when they reconnected last year, it was at the Bedminster Live event. It was back in July. And it was kind of reluctant first, I think, on both sides. But Brooks was searching for answers. And I think Claude had finally come around and he wanted to help. And the way Claude explained it to me, it didn't take a long time. That These are things that they had been working on for years. Probably the bigger deal, and Claude will be the first to admit this, is that he was healthy. That he wasn't dealing with all the injuries that we've documented so much. And once he was healthy, that yes, you could get him back on track. And that's what they've been able to do. And when he won in Saudi Arabia, I think it was late last year, uh, I, it was immediate that, oh, we got the band back together and everything was comfortable. I, I think the thing about this week that Claude told me, and I wrote about it tonight on GolfChannel.com, is Brooks feels most comfortable when there's chaos. And I think you and I both can love that idea. And the way, in the context that Claude put it in is he said he loves being in the death zone. And he compared that to when you're at Mount Everest at 26,000 feet, that's considered the death zone. Anything above that is the death zone because your body is not getting enough oxygen and essentially you are dying. It depends on how strong you are, how quickly you die, but you are dying and you start making bad decisions and people start panicking and no one wants to get to 26,000 feet. His argument was Brooks loves it at 26,000 feet. This is where he is at his absolute best. If you put him at 5,000 feet where everyone plays pretty much the same golf course, you got to make a bunch of birdies, that pretty much bores him. We know that about him. And I, I love the analogy of it, it, the way he explained it is he loves the lack of oxygen. He loves the challenge. He loves the physical goals. The majors he, loves- he, famously, the majors he famously said were the easiest ones to win. I know. And, and you go back to that comment, and it, he's the same guy now that he was back in 2019. I, I think the biggest part, though, that stood out to me, and, and this goes beyond the bravado, right? This goes beyond the perceived indifference that Brooks tries to make the world believe that this is the person he is. Claude explained that, look, he had to come to grips the last few years with his competitive mortality. We all saw the Netflix special. We all heard what he said, that he thought he was so washed that the, that Live Golf and the money that they offered, offered him was the best option. However, that also taught him that you got to appreciate this more. And Claude said, the greats all understand this doesn't last forever, and that greatness is not a thing that you just cling to for eternity, that you need to make the most of it. And I found that the most interesting because he doesn't portray that to the world. You don't get that sort of thoughtfulness. When you hear Brooks talk, I, I'm not trying to, to make any other comment, but he, he doesn't seem to look that far into the future. I love the idea that he showed up here this week thinking to himself that I don't have a lot of these left. I can probably start adding up how many majors I can play. I'm going to make the most of it. And this is what we got out of him. He's so much more interesting now than he was, say, 
four or five years ago when he was just kind of the major terminator who showed up at the game's biggest events and basically just put the major fields in a chokehold. There's more layers to him. There's more depth to him. Uh, obviously, the Netflix expe- special kind of exposed him and made him vulnerable in a light that we didn't know. The, the injuries that he sustained, first to his left knee a couple years ago, and more specifically to his right knee. That was the damaging one two years ago uh, that, that essentially put his uh, career at the breaking point. Like it was, I think it was a lot closer to Brooks Kepka walking away from the game than perhaps he had had previously made known and for him to to get healthy to to get now on the other side and to be competitive in this masters uh, one of the two majors that he had not yet won on the game's biggest stage with all that swirling around with this PGA tour live drama uh, is nothing short of remarkable we had such a hard time handicapping how these guys would play and I, like i thought he was he was fascinating he was a he was a, a case study for how much does that form on the live tour actually matter once you get in the major championship. So to have this performance uh, is absolutely astounding. We're not going to be able to talk Rex until a master's champion is crowned. So if, if it is Brooks Kepka, he's four shots ahead, 28 and a half holes to play. If it is Brooks Kepka, what does that mean? What does that mean in this, in the larger sense of golf? Is it a, a, a massive loss for the PJ tour? Is it a massive win for live, where does this put him in? You know the pantheon of all-time greats. Like it's a, it could be a pretty weighty Sunday at Augusta National. Uh, I want to answer that. That that's a really good topic. Before we get there, however, I don't want to skip past just the reality that his knee was a mess, largely because he made it a mess. And I, I keep wanting to go, and we kind of didn't didn't focus on this. He tried to pop back into place. He injured it. He fell down. He injured it, and that's what fractured it. Correct? I, I've got that right. Correct? He slipped. This is according to Brooks Kepka. Yeah. He slipped, injured mm-hmm. his knee, sustained right. ligament damage, tried to put it pop back it. in, and shattered mm-hmm. his kneecap. His kneecap was dislocated. Putting it back in, he shattered it. the the error The error was not trying to put it back in, because that was the was, error. Totally no, disagree. No, no, no. The okay, one hundred percent disagree. Like, should he have done that? No, probably not. No. He probably should have waited. Probably should have no. waited for, for a surgical consult. His error, Rex, was returning three weeks later for the Masters tournament. His error was not taking out the the six month break that his surgeon suggested. It, he continued to play major championship golf. He played the Masters three weeks later. A month later, he was in the final group with Phil Mickelson at the PJ Championship going head-to-head at Kiowa Island. And on the final day, his, his knee kind of gave out. And he started hitting it left. And from that point, it was over. Brooks Kepka finished inside the top eight in the rest of the majors that year. Like, it's absolutely no. remarkable. That was head, that, head, that, that that was that error. Though. It wasn't the error. The error was trying to put it back into place. And the point I'm trying to make is neither one of neither you nor I are tough guys. And I can tell you right now that if I stub my toe walking into the other room, which you are 10 yards away from me right now, I'm not going to try to put it back into place myself. I'm going to scream and yell until you take me to whatever the nearest medical facility is, and they're going to put it back into place. I mean, I would, I would, at, least, I would at least use Teladoc to see, like, hey, man, what do you, what do you suggest here? No, no. <laughs> I, I want you to take me to a, a, an expert right off the top. I, I, I don't think I'm qualified for this. I went to journalism school. I didn't go to medical school. And I'm pretty sure Brooks didn't go to medical school. So I didn't want to didn't, skip by didn't that. Tiger, didn't Tiger at the Masters famously pop a bone back into his wrist? At least he said he did. Uh, no, I think it was a shoulder. It was, it, I, nope, I thought it was like a shoulder not. or a hip. Definitely it was like a wrist bone. Yeah. Again, 
not not doing that. Uh, to your point, what does it say? Uh, uh, we talked about this early in the week, and I think I kind of surprised Todd Lewis. He asked me on air during live from about what would it mean if a live player won, and, and my immediate re- response was it would be good for golf, which kind of surprised Todd Lewis. I got a really. Uh, kind of like you got from Steve Sands the other day when you picked Bruce Kepka as, as a player to watch. And the reason behind that is, in I think you and I talked about this on the way home, the interest level from the conflict is going to go through the roof. And I think we keep forgetting and we keep wanting just to walk straight by the idea this is an entertainment product. And if you don't think that if Brooks wins, somehow pulls this out on Sunday, that going into – next month's PGA championship that it's not going to be a topic all over again. And that we're suddenly going to start thinking about these players are only going to get together four times a year. It only makes those four events, which are the most important events in golf that much more important. Look, I know it's bad for the PGA tour and you and I talked about it on the drive home. I have no idea how they're going to handle this. If Brooks does win, but I do believe that for the entertainment product, for the fan, for the players that play both tours, it's going to be good for them. Because now you're going to end up with a scenario that we don't know. We talked about it. We, we don't know how to gaze these players. We don't know how to handicap the field. But now you put them together, and that's going to be fun. We were, we were chuckling at the idea that if, if Brooks Kepka wins by four or five, is like the lead story on PJTour.com. John, <laughs> FedEx Cup leader John Rahm makes valiant effort at, at winning Green Jacket, and they just kind of leave it there with, with name redacted uh, for the Masters <laughs> champion. <laughs> that much is, is, very, is very TBD. I, I certainly think it would at least partly kind of disprove the talking point, which has been, you know, how is the live schedule going to prepare these guys for major championships? If you look at the leaderboard right now, like Brooks Koepka obviously is in the lead. Phil Mickelson has had a better week than I think a lot of people expected. Cam Smith has been plenty fine. I think 12 of the 18 live players ultimately made the 36 hole cut, which to me uh, is, is pretty uh, impressive in its own right. But I, I still believe that Brooks is kind of a unicorn in the fact that he always played kind of a light schedule. He has been able to look listless for months on end. And then he shows up at the major championships. Like I, I, I don't think like a, it's like a one size fits all thing. Like I don't think Brooks is necessarily uh, indicative of the larger live model. I would look at more like a Joaquin Neiman, who by the time he left live golf was a, a top 20 player in the world. Like, would he be able to then sustain that level of play in the major champs in the major championships? I think is a better question moving forward than a player who is a, a generational talent, like one of the best uh, of his generation in Brooks Kepka. That's, that's kind of where my head is on, on that particular matter. I'm not sure what it necessarily says about live. I think it's more, a reminder of how special this guy is. And I'll go back to what I, I think I said earlier in the week that I still believe that Cam Smith is a top five player and that DJ is a top 10 player and Brooks is a top 10 player. Just because we don't see it doesn't make it not real. And, and the, the hard part for us, for you and I, we have a very specific way we can't quantify solid play, right? We want to watch PGA tour events, nothing against live events. Like that, that's just a different model. We want to look at shot link da- data. We want to see strokes gain. They don't have any of that. And so I mean, we're already, we're, I mean, world ranking data golf.com yeah. like, like strokes we have gain metrics. Yeah. There's nothing to compare them. And so to be fair, and this, this isn't like, I think you and I both have done a very good job of trying to avoid, like I'm not passing judgment on whether 54 holes and shotgun starts are, or, a truly competitive outlet or not like that has nothing to do with it this just has to do with how historically 
we have gauged if a player is, is worthy of, oh, you should watch this guy. Because it, we simply don't have that. Last week when Brooks Kepka won, I think we both kind of took notice. I think we talked about it as we rounded that beautiful layout at Palmetto Golf Club. Thank you so much, Brooks. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Brooks. That. Mr. Moore, love you. Yeah. However, I think this is going to sort of change that narrative. It's going to make us look, probably look a little bit harder in how exactly – what is Cam playing like right now? And is Dustin ready? To your point, I, you're right. I, I would probably be more interested to see how the Mito Pereira's of the world make the transition or the Joaquin Neiman's because it's, it's even harder to decide, okay, here's a player that's never been here before. And now he's competing over here and we don't understand the level of competition. How does he fit in? And I do think the live bots and Greg Norman are, are, are poised to be disappointed on Sunday evening. If Brooks Kepka is the winner of this masters, I'm not sure you could find a less enthusiastic proponent of live golf than Brooks Kepka on Friday, he was asked if you were this healthy, had circumstances been different, had you been playing at this level last summer, would you have made the move to live golf or would it have been made more difficult? He said, to be honest with you, it would have been made more difficult. Now he did say that he's happy with this decision. I'm not sure what else he could have said otherwise, but he has still maintained friendly relations with PJ tour players. He played a practice round with Rory McIlroy, who uh, is the foremost PJ tour loyalist uh, earlier this week at Augusta National, PJ Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan attended Brooks Kepka's wedding uh, a, a couple yeah, of years ago. That's like amazing. He, he has still, he, he has not, you know, he's not waved the live flag. He's not been a Phil Mickelson. He's not been a Patrick Reed. He's not been an Ian Poulter or Lee Westwood who have been kind of at the forefront of defending that model. Brooks has always just used regular season tournaments as preparation, as reps, and then he, to, to kind of build up to these legacy defining events at the major championships. I don't think it matters whether he's on the PGA tour or live golf. That's kind of always how he's viewed them. And he circled the major championships and he's once again, proving that he is among the game's best when it matters most. One thing before we get out of here, Rex, and we're at the 22 minute mark on this podcast, which is supposed to be between 15 and 20 minutes is tiger woods. We're recording this at six 30 PM Eastern time on Saturday night. Tiger woods, is in last place. Don't he do six it. Over I'm your friend. I'm your friend. I don't want you to do this. Holes. Stop he doing in, this. I don't want you to is, do this. I'm your friend. He Stop. is in last place I by care about three you. shots. Do you think we see Tiger Woods teed up on Sunday morning yeah. for the completion of the third round? I do. It's the Masters. Like, don't. I, I'm begging you. Don't do this. Like, I, I know where you're going. Go ahead. Like, I care about you. I don't, don't even, do this. I don't even. I don't even know where I'm going. It's just. It's a simple question. Do you think we will see him? I said why? yes. I do. I, yeah. I do. Did you see him? Did you see him hobbling around the second? I did. He's miserable. It was rainy. It was cold. He is on his Uh, way to his highest score at the Masters. The highest was actually week the weekend seventy eights a year ago when he made the cut uh, improbably uh, fourteen months uh, after serious injury sustained to his lower right leg. I'm not sure I've ever seen him hobble like he is at this point. He has. 28 and a half holes to play now. He's in the final group off the 10th tee. He's 28 and a half holes uh, to play on Sunday. Joe LaCava told our friend Ian O'Connor of the New York Post earlier this week, I have no idea how Tiger would get through 27 holes. Well, if he gives it a go Sunday, we're about to find out. I'm, I'm of the opinion that like, I have all the respect and admiration for what Tiger Woods is doing here. I don't think anyone can question that he's, he's one of the, the toughest athletes ever 
particularly in golf. I mean, Ben Hogan and Tiger Woods are probably 1A and 1B coming back from their respective injuries. Like, is there anything to prove this week? Are you, are you going to try and grind out your 54th right now to, to get to 40th? You, you know, I think you have to look big picture. And only Tiger Woods knows his body. Only he knows what he's feeling. Only he knows what sort of recovery and treatment and what 27 and a half holes uh, on a rain-soaked golf course are going to do to his leg. But PJ Championship is in about five weeks' time at Oak Hill. The U.S. Open at L.A., where he dearly wants to be in his childhood home, uh, wants to be two months from now. The uh, Open returns to Liverpool in July. It wouldn't surprise me if he didn't play on Sunday, and I'm kind of hoping for his sake that we can have him for the rest of the majors. I, I just don't want to see something that happens Sunday at the masters that could potentially jeopardize the rest of a 2023 major season. So you're saying he is going to play or he isn't going to play. I didn't, you, you talked for a long time and I kind of, do you think he's, point, do so I think I, he's going to play? I was checking Facebook. I, I didn't know Do I think mean. he's going to play? No, I actually, I actually, um, I actually don't think he will. I think he'll do the calculus and see that. Uh, if if it was any other tournament, Rex, like th- this, I, I'm having flashbacks to the PGA Championship last year at Southern Hills, right? Like he he was absolutely miserable. I think he shot 79 in that third round. Just a horrid day uh, at the PGA Championship. Brutal weather conditions, uh, very much like we saw here at, at Augusta National. And he decided that Saturday night, hey, I'm in last place. I'm not going to show up on Sunday. If this was not Augusta National, if this was not the Masters, if this is not a tournament that he won five times previously and has all the reverence and respect in the world for, uh, I think it's an easy decision. The only thing that complicates Probably. it is his special relationship with the Masters. Yeah. Yes, that's why I think he, he's going to show up tomorrow morning. I get what you're saying. I, I understand what you're laying down. I, I wish you wouldn't have, again, because I care about you. But, yes, if this was if this was Genesis Invitational, I'm, I'm not expecting to see him tomorrow morning. I, I do think he'll give it a go. And, and he did not look good, and we've seen him all horrible. It, in the best of conditions, he hasn't looked good. However, I do think this is special to him. Real quick, who wins okay. and by how many? Uh, I think Brooks wins, but it's not a runaway. I think we ended up with a very exciting Sunday between he and John Rom. And for all the reasons we, we talked about, I, I don't see either one of these players separated by much. The only difference here is a four-stroke lead. That could be two by the time that, you know, most people are having breakfast tomorrow morning, which is even more fascinating. It, the Masters does a really good job of saving all of the drama till Sunday. And I would imagine in this particular scenario with the extra holes and the rain and, and the cold and all the conditions, it's only going to be that much better. The better story is Brooks Kepka. I actually do think that John Rahm will come back and win this Masters. The reason I think so, Brooks Kepka has a little bit of scar tissue. Remember the last major championship he won, uh, forfeited a seven or eight shot lead on the, fu- the final day and ended up eking out a victory over Dustin Johnson at Bethpage Black added scar t- tissue with that finish scar tissue of going head to head and losing against Phil. And even in the, the U S open that John Rom won 2021 at Torrey Pines, Brooks Kepko once again, had an opportunity to win there and made a couple of late bogeys. John Rom, I think is more battle tested of late uh, in his history and record as a closer leads him to believe that he can once again, close this gap, but we will find out. Uh, on Sunday at the Masters. They should be on schedule once again for that late Sunday finish, as is tradition. Make sure you guys check out uh, golfchannel.com for all of our stories, all of our analysis, all of our blogs, all of our game stories, all of our columns. It should be a busy night, as well as Rex, hopefully on live from, from the Masters 
on Sunday evening. But thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lab. We'll be back on Sunday or Monday with a full recap of the 87th Masters. <laughs> <laughs>